A.W. Tozer once said, what a blessed truth to understand that in the middle of all of our difficulties and calamities, we have a refuge. I'm sure you know there's no such thing as a life free from trouble, right? We all experience real trouble at times in our lives, and yet when we plan ahead, when we dream about our future, when we think about how our lives will be moving forward, I don't think most people factor in the troubles that are bound to come along the way, do we? I mean, we generally don't plan on losing our jobs. We don't plan on losing our marriages. We don't plan on losing our health or losing our loved ones or losing our way in this life. And yet all of those are realities for different people at different points along the way, aren't they? That's just the tip of the iceberg. We could probably go around this room today and hear about one trouble after another that different people here have actually had to face at some point in their lives. Troubles that were not expected and not planned for. For the most part, it's because we... Of course, we cannot plan, right, for every eventuality that comes our way. We cannot possibly be expected to predict every potential difficulty that we'll ever face in this life, even though we know they'll come in one form or another. And yet, for the follower of Jesus Christ, even knowing that troubles will come, we have no reason to live in fear or without hope. Because our God not only knows what you're facing today, even better than you do, in fact, But he knows what you will face tomorrow and every single day after that. And he does have a plan that factors all of that in. And because he knows what we're facing, what we will face in the days to come, he's also provided for us a place of refuge, which is where in times of trouble you will find protection, provision, rest, healing, freedom, life, and ultimately the hope for a future that we all long for. Listen, even in the depths of your darkest hours. And make no mistake about it, this is something that has been provided for and only could be provided for by Jesus Christ because ultimately He alone is our refuge. Yet knowing that truth, it still doesn't always stop us from trying to to find some refuge in many other things when our lives aren't going as we hoped they would. Sometimes we cling to just about everything but Jesus Christ when our circumstances seem to conspire against us. And therein lies the dilemma for many Christians today when we find ourselves in trouble, in peril, right? Facing very real problems. Sometimes we try to find refuge in all of the wrong things. Listen, uh, your bank account cannot shelter you from every storm that comes your way. The power of positive thinking and good vibes won't sustain you through times of great loss. A new relationship will not heal the wounds from past relationships. Creating a new routine alone will not bring freedom from old bondages. Your own willpower will not be enough to power you through life's harshest struggles. Okay, When your life is completely turned upside down, the only thing this world can offer you at best is temporary distractions from the troubles you face. The truth is that protection and provision and rest and healing and freedom and life and hope, all the things that we need when we can't solve our own problems, all of that comes when you take refuge in Christ. We have a very practical, practical and a very prophetic picture of that in our story today as we continue our sermon series working our way through the book of Joshua. Now, uh, last week we were in chapter 11. 
Today we're picking the story back up at chapter 20. The reason being is that the eight chapters between 11 and 20 are basically lists of the kings and people groups and cities who were conquered by the Israelites during the conquest of Canaan. Also lists of land allotments that were given to the different tribes uh, of Israel. So it is pertinent information in understanding the division of the land amongst the different tribes. Uh, It's also important in testifying to the accuracy and validity of Scripture. But for the sake of the narrative, the the larger story here, we're going to jump to chapter 20 today instead of taking the time to read through those lists of names. Uh, and, And although we won't we won't take the time to read through chapter 21 this morning because that's another list. It's a list of the cities given to the Levites. Still, this message today does encompass chapters 20 and 21, as we'll see, even though we'll only be reading through uh, chapter 20 today, okay? So let's pick the story up at Joshua 20. We'll start by reading the first three verses, Joshua 21 through 3. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. Back in Exodus 21, God instructs Moses to set up cities of refuge in Canaan when they settle the land for anyone who causes someone else to die without premeditation or harmful intent. In other words, anyone who commits the equivalent of involuntary manslaughter today as opposed to someone who willfully commits murder. And so God is saying he will provide a place of refuge for these people who are in serious trouble. And then he expands on those instructions in detail, which we'll look at as we go in Numbers 35, also in uh, Deuteronomy 4 and 19. And so here in chapter 20 of Joshua, now that the tribal allotments have been given out, Over the last eight chapters in the land is being settled by the Israelites. God says to Joshua, it's time to set up these cities of refuge that I told Moses about since the fighting has essentially ended and Israel has taken possession of the land. And so there were to be six cities chosen among the Levitical cities for this purpose. Three east of the Jordan, three west of the Jordan to provide a place of refuge to the one being pursued by the avenger of blood, according to verse 3. The avenger of blood is described in the ancient Hebrew as Gaal. It means to redeem. It's generally used to refer to the kinsman redeemer. Okay? In Hebrew culture, some of you know this, the kinsman redeemer was typically the nearest male relative who was responsible to protect the family's lives and liberty and property and so on. But when a life was taken, the kinsman redeemer actually became the avenger of blood who was responsible in cases of murder to put the murderer to death according to Numbers 35, 19, thereby redeeming the blood of the family member who was killed. And it wasn't the kinsman redeemer's responsibility, by the way, to determine guilt or innocence. We'll look at that more in a moment. But for the kinsman redeemer, it was simply his job to redeem the blood of his dead relative. And so if you killed someone, whether you meant to or not, the avenger of blood was coming for you. And so God provides a way of salvation for the manslayer, the one who was guilty of killing another. God made a way for that person to not only escape certain death, but also to have a hope and a future beyond his guilt and shame, which is a tremendous foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as our salvation from death and a refuge from the consequences of our own guilt and shame. And so he sets aside six specific cities that were strategically spaced out north to south and east to west, as we'll see in a few moments, so that no matter where you were in Canaan, if you were in trouble, 
there was a place of refuge that you could run to before being caught by the avenger of blood. The point here is, if you were in trouble, you had to run into that place of refuge. Remember, God said to Joshua, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. Okay, if the one who was in trouble wanted to find salvation and protection and life, he didn't simply stay where he was and demand protection as a member of the nation of Israel. No, he actually had to run into that place of refuge. And likewise for us today, refuge in Christ is something we run into. It's not something we wait for to show up. King Solomon wrote, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe, Proverbs 18.10. Look, if you're facing real trouble today in your life, my first question is, have you run into Jesus Christ? Because he is our place of refuge. He's our place of salvation. He's our place of hope when everything in our lives seems hopeless. But you have to run into him. King David, a man well acquainted with trouble, wrote, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Psalm 31.1. He didn't say, In my understanding of you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Because although understanding is important, our refuge isn't found by the understanding that we have about Jesus Christ. He didn't say in my testimony about what you've done in my past, O Lord, do I take refuge. Because although our testimony is very important, our refuge isn't found in our testimony about Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say, in my membership in the nation of Israel, O Lord, do I take refuge? Because although identifying ourselves with God's people is important, our refuge isn't found in identifying with any group or any church or any ministry. No, our refuge is found in and only in the person of Jesus Christ, which means if you're going to find refuge, you must be found in him. You must run into Jesus Christ. Whether you've never done that before or you've done it a thousand times before, when trouble comes, your refuge in that time of trouble can only be found in him, in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way, in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, put on Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Some translations say it this way, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. <clears throat> you're getting the picture of what it means to be in Christ, because it's far more than knowing things about him. It's far more than praying a prayer of commitment at some point in your life, in your past, to him. It's far more even than identifying yourself with his people. Being in Christ is getting up every morning and clothing yourself with Christ, being in him to the point that your old self is no longer even recognizable, which means your sense of security is now found in him. And your faith is found in him. And your confidence is found in him. And your healing is found in him. And your freedom is found in him. And your hope is found in him. In fact, if you were to be separated from Christ, no one would even know who you were because your very identity is now found in Christ. See, when your life is truly given over to Jesus, Paul says you've died. And your life is hidden with Christ. Where? In God. Colossians 3.3. 3. That's where refuge is found in times of trouble, when you run straight into Jesus Christ. So look, if you're in trouble today, run to Jesus Christ. If your situation seems hopeless, 
run to Jesus Christ. If your hurt is more than you can bear, run to Jesus Christ, and there in him you will find refuge. David was hunted by Saul for many years. Some say as long as seven years, some say a decade or more. Can you imagine the amount of stress that David must have been under, the pressure that he endured for so long, running for his very life from Saul and later from others, day after day, month after month, year after year, wondering each day if that would be his last on this earth. I can't imagine it. I have no idea what that must have been like, and yet David knew that he couldn't simply run away from Saul in order to survive. If he was to find refuge, he would have to run straight into God, which is why on the day that he was finally delivered from those who sought his life for so long, David wrote these words, I love you, Lord, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire and he sent out his arrows and scattered them he flashed forth lightnings and routed them then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke O lord at the blast of the breath of your nostrils he sent from on high he took me he drew me out of many waters he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me they confronted me in the day of my calamity but the lord was my support he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Thank you, Father, that you hear our cry and you delight in defending us in our darkest hours. Truly, you are a rock, a fortress, a deliverer in whom we can take refuge when we run into you. John Piper writes, God is not an employer looking for employees. He's an eagle looking for people who will take refuge under his wings. Let's keep reading verses 4 through 6. He shall flee to one of these cities, and he shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of the city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at that time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So once you ran to a city of refuge, you would stand before the elders of that city, the local authorities at the gate of the city, 
before you could enter. In biblical times, uh, the gate of a city would consist of a towered entrance and a large open area where people would gather uh, generally to conduct business, to hold public meetings, and in this instance, to hear the case of the accused. So the city gates function much like a town hall or a community center, and there the elders whose job it was to determine whether or not the manslayer would be granted asylum, they would meet with the accused at the city gate and hear his story and then either accept him in or turn him away. But once he was admitted into the city, it was also the elder's job to protect the manslayer from the avenger of blood should he continue his pursuit. So at that point, for the most part, the manslayer was relegated to a life within the city walls. In fact, we know from Numbers 35 that if the manslayer were to venture outside of the city, he was fair game for the avenger of blood. The law said, if the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries of a city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside of the boundaries of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. For he must remain in his city of refuge, until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possessions. Numbers 35, 26 through 28. So interestingly, the accused was both saved and at the same time, in in a very real way, incarcerated by the city of refuge. So there wasn't actually true freedom for the manslayer unless one very special thing occurred, which is mentioned both in Joshua 26 and in Numbers 35, 28, which we just read. The manslayer must remain in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And so only upon the death of the high priest may the manslayer finally be set free and return to his home to live without fear of death by the avenger of blood. And Hebrews 2.17, referring to Jesus Christ, says... Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so once again, the work of the law on behalf of God's people under the old covenant foreshadows the work of Christ on behalf of God's people under the new covenant as the death of a high priest under both covenants is required for people who are imprisoned by their guilt to finally experience true freedom. It's a clear reminder that refuge in Christ is the only way to freedom. In John eight thirty six, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed, okay? Without Christ, every single one of us is a slave to our own sin. You understand? It doesn't matter how squeaky clean you try to live your life, how many good deeds you do for other people, or how religious you may be. If you're not in Christ, you're in prison. If you're not in Christ today, You're in prison. You may not realize it, you may not believe it, and you may not feel like it. But the truth is the truth. In fact, fact, our feelings have absolutely no bearing on truth whatsoever. Feelings change. The truth never changes. Feelings will betray you. The truth may cut you to your core, but it will never betray you. Feelings will lead you dreadfully astray. 
Feelings will imprison you. The truth will only lead you to Christ. The truth will set you free. It's not that feelings are all bad, but they're also not the foundation we should be building our lives upon. The truth, Jesus Christ is the only foundation that our lives should be built upon because he is the only pathway to freedom. Yet we live in a culture that is ruled by feelings. In popular culture today, everything is subjective depending upon how we feel about it. So the stronger we feel about something, the more right it must be until truth is determined by our ever-changing feelings instead of the unchanging Word of God. And as a result, we're, we're experiencing a wholesale rejection of absolute objective truth in our society that is rooted in the Word of God in favor of a subjective truth that's based upon whatever changing feelings happen to rule the day. And the travesty, the real travesty of that kind of thinking is that we believe we're creating a free society. We believe we're creating a place of refuge for those who have decided to determine their own truth, while in reality all we're doing is creating a prison for ourselves, sinking deeper into bondage than we've ever been before. That's what happens when you let your feelings determine your truth. I was talking to a friend the other day who doesn't come to church here, and he was asking me about the church. I said, look, we're not a seeker-sensitive church. We're a Jesus-sensitive church. We haven't designed this church or tried to create a culture in this church to meet the desires of popular culture around us. This church exists to serve the desires of Jesus Christ. Okay? And listen, I don't like everything that's in the Bible. I don't. I, I, I wish I didn't have to die to myself. I don't like that. To crucify my own flesh, my own will, in deference to His. Are you kidding me? That's hard to do. It's really difficult at times. It's painful. Certainly it's not enjoyable. But that's what His Word says we must do if we're going to be able to follow Christ, which is the only true pathway to freedom. See, if we're, if we're going to experience real freedom in this life, then we must seek refuge in the truth of Christ alone, the absolute truth of who He is. Henry Martin said, My soul, alas, needs these uneasinesses in outward things to be driven to take refuge in God. Let's finish the chapter, verses 7 through 9. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead, from the tribe of Gad and Golan in Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. And so in this last passage of the chapter, uh, the six cities of refuge are named, which were all among the 48 cities allotted to the Levites, the priests of the Lord listed in chapter 21. And because of their geographical locations in Canaan, no matter where you were in the land, you were never more than a day's travel away from, from one of them, which again was critical if you're being pursued by someone who is trying to kill you, right? And yet their significance 
went far beyond their geographical locations because they all held great prophetic significance for us today as a representation of who Jesus Christ is for all those who run to him for refuge, as we'll see. Okay, west of the Jordan, from north to south, were first of all Kadesh, the first city of refuge, which means holy place. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Next was Shechem. It means strong shoulder. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then there was Hebron, which means fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then east of the Jordan from north to south were Golan, which means enclosure for captives. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Then there was Ramoth Gilead, which means high place. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And finally, there was Bezer, which means strong hiding place in Colossians 3, 3, which we read earlier says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, these cities represented everything that the people of God needed in their greatest times of trouble. It's incredible how purposeful, how intentional, how meaningful everything that God does for us, how it all points to Jesus Christ. And yet there was something more, something profoundly more, which we find in verse 9 that says, these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them. So the refuge provided by these cities for God's people was extended to the Gentiles among them, which was a poignant reminder to all of us that refuge in Christ is available to everyone. To ancient Near Eastern cultures, the shedding of innocent blood brought an imbalance, as well as the great injustice to the created order of things. Blood was representative of life, and so the unjust spilling of it brought a curse upon the land, which you'll find in many ancient writings, including Deuteronomy 19.10 and Numbers 35.33. And so when the manslayer, even by accident, spilled the blood of another, balance had to be brought back to the land by atoning for the shedding of innocent blood. The point being, there was no more dire circumstance, no more hopeless situation to find yourself in than to be guilty, intentionally or not, of spilling the blood of the innocent. But because of the love of God for this world, there was hope given, a gift given, not only to the Jews, but to anyone now, to anyone who would seek refuge in one of these cities, a hope that promised atonement, forgiveness, and a new life that was otherwise utterly impossible. These cities that represent Christ It's the very picture of what Jesus Christ has provided to everyone, Jew or Gentile, who seeks refuge in him today. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. That means apart from Christ, every single one of us is guilty, unworthy, and unable to secure our own salvation. Without Christ, we're doomed to condemnation and death, a life without hope and an eternity in darkness. But because of God's love for us, Paul was able to continue writing one of the most 
hopeful passages in all of biblical scripture. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, Romans 3, 23 through 25. You understand? Without Christ, you're pronounced guilty on the earth, guilty in the heavens, and guilty for all of eternity. But when you run into Christ Jesus in faith, you not only find refuge in him and freedom in him, but you are declared innocent on the earth, innocent in the heavens, and innocent for all of eternity. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because this gift of salvation and freedom and forgiveness is available to everyone who would seek to find refuge in him. John Owen said, unless we're thoroughly convinced that without Christ we're under the eternal curse of God as the worst of his enemies, we shall never flee to him for refuge. Look, are you hurting today? Are you facing something seemingly impossible in your life right now? Are you without Christ in your life? Maybe you're a believer and there are circumstances happening that are bearing down on you and you don't know what to do next. Listen to me, please. If you're being battered by a storm in your life right now, you need to know that no matter who you are and no matter what you've done and no matter what is happening to you right now, whether you brought it on by your own decisions and choices or maybe trouble has showed up at your door by no doing of your own, no matter what it is, you need to know that you can run to him because God is our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams Make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You understand, no matter who you are or what you've done, Refuge in Christ is available to you right now. And so if you're in trouble today, run to Jesus Christ. If your situation seems hopeless, run to Jesus Christ. If your hurt is more than you can bear, run to Jesus Christ. If you lie awake in the long hours of the night, fearful of what tomorrow holds, I'm telling you, run to Jesus Christ. And if you've been trying to live your life without him and it's falling apart, run to Jesus Christ. Because no matter what you're facing today, no matter how difficult, no matter how hopeless, no matter how seemingly impossible it may be, run to Jesus Christ and there in him alone, you will find refuge. Let's pray.